This morning, our gospel reading from John chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Today, we look in on a time when Jesus encounters a woman from another race or ethnic background. You see, Jesus is Jewish. The Samaritans lived next door to the Jews, so to speak. They were out of the same roots of Jewish families, but they had intermarried with other races. So now known as Samaritans, and enmity had grown up between the Jews and the Samaritans, and there are so many problems and divisions that even hatred had begun to form. It was then kind of put into their social fabric to say that they don't have anything to do with each other, that they're not to speak, they're not to interact, that they're to be totally separate groups of people. So in the story today, when this Samaritan woman comes to a well, now she's in her own territory, she's in her own town. Jesus has entered in from the outside and is sitting by the well. So she had to be surprised to even see him. But certainly even more surprised when he spoke to her and then went so far as to ask her to bring him a drink of water. You can hear her surprise in the text when she's saying, wait a minute, what are you doing asking me? You're Jewish, I'm Samaritan, don't you understand? And then if we don't understand or the reader doesn't understand, John puts in this parenthetical phrase in verse 9 just to make sure we're all clear about what's going on here. He says, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. We're supposed to stay apart, not to talk, not to interact, not to socialize, not to be seen together in any way. Just the grasp, the gravity of such a situation, I want it to us, for us to remember a time that is closer to us historically and also geographically. Let's go back to May 31, 1921. 
On that day, a young black man was arrested. He was a 19-year-old teenager. He worked as a shoeshine boy downtown. The day before, he had gone into the building to go to the bathroom. He was riding the elevator to the floor where he needed to be. You may remember back in those days, elevators weren't self-operated. There was always an elevator operator running the elevator. That day, it was a 17-year-old white woman running the elevator. This young man, Dick Rowland, on the elevator. The elevator lurches. We've all been on an elevator. When that happens, he loses his balance and falls into the girl. She screams. When the door opens, there's a white man standing there seeing these two teenagers wide-eyed. Dick Rowland leaves the elevator and exits the building and goes on with his life. She accused him of attacking her in the moment, but soon recanted that. In fact, the next day when talking to police, she admitted that she overreacted and the incident had been inadvertent. But by then, Dick Rowland had been arrested, and the story sweeping across Tulsa was that a black man had attempted to rape a white woman on an elevator downtown. Rumors spread like wildfire. By that afternoon, it reached the police department, these rumors that a white lynch mob was organizing and gathering. Before midnight, close to the jail, Hundreds of blacks had gathered, thousands of whites had gathered, tensions were high. Sometime close to midnight, a shot went off, apparently a white officer trying to take a gun from a black man. Chaos ensued, a mob mentality broke out, 12 people were shot. But calm was restored briefly until about 1 a.m., a fire broke out down Boston at Archer and began to burn buildings close to the prosperous black business area known as Black Wall Street. The fire continued to burn. Story says that the white mob, some say that now in the middle of the night, had swelled to 15,000 whites blocked the streets so that the fire trucks couldn't get to the fires, and the fires burned and spread all night long. Sometime during the night, the white mob crossed the line, both literally and figuratively, and began to destroy homes and businesses in the area. As one historian wrote about it, Cars of marauding white Tulsans streamed into the streets, firing indiscriminately at any African-American target in sight. Women and children proved no exception. An elderly African-American couple kneeling in bedtime prayer in their home was startled by an invading mob. After murdering the couple execution style, the mob ransacked and pillaged the house before setting it ablaze. Businesses, homes, even churches were burned to the ground. Untold numbers of people were killed. 
The American Red Cross was a disaster relief agency that responded on those after those days in 1921. Their reports show that in excess of 1,000 homes and businesses were destroyed and over 8,000 people came to them for assistance. All of this sparked because cultural taboos about interaction between men and women from different races were violated. This story we have in John today could have ended very differently for Jesus and his disciples. But Jesus bridges the gap of the racial divide. He begins to discuss the differences that this woman says that she knows that they have. Differences of places, ways of living, places of worship, different cultural practices. Certainly those discussions sometimes lead to greater division and more problems. But in this case, Jesus discusses these things with this woman. And then as they're talking, begins to ask her some questions, even as she's asking him questions. She finally gets to a question about worship and ask him, we worship on this mountain in our area, but you and your folks say we should worship in Jerusalem. Which one is the right answer? It's got to be this or that. But that's not how Jesus sees it. He answers her in a whole different way. Remember what he said? It's in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. She says it's this or it's this. He says it's neither. It's neither here nor there. He's going to transcend this discussion of the physical and talk about the spiritual. We see this over and over in the Gospels where Jesus encounters someone. They want to ask him a question about their life and what happens in the physical realm, and he turns their focus and suggests for them to focus on the spiritual realm, to look at the spiritual implications. You hear it in this one. He goes on now in verse 23 to say to her, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Do you hear him talking about not only worshiping in the physical realm, but that our worship should transcend that, that worship is to take us even in, as physical beings into a spiritual realm and into a spiritual focus. In other words, he's saying to her, our spiritual focus should transcend our physical differences, our personal preferences, our skin color, our cultural practices, our preferences for worship or musical style or place of worship, Jesus is saying there's something bigger that transcends all of that. Many have noted that in America, this 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is often the most segregated hour of the whole week. Now, that's just not true today. People have been noting that for a very long time. I can remember growing up noticing that the church my family went to was all white people. 
I knew there were people of different ethnicities in our city. When I asked about why we worship in different places as a child, I was told people do that by choice. They get to choose where they go. And certainly that's partly true. But as I became an adult and studied more about American history and learned of slavery and Jim Crow and lynchings and the like, I realized it was not all by choice, that we're a living legacy of separation and segregation, of enforced segregation, of keeping people apart based simply on color of skin. I even remember a time as a child at my all-white Methodist church when a black family came and asked to join our church and they were denied. They were told they were not welcome. They would not be admitted into membership. Certainly this is antithetical to what Jesus is teaching in this passage and in so many other places in the scriptures. There's some deep truth in that children's song that says red and yellow black and white all are precious in his sight jesus loves the little children of the world if we believe that god creates us all and we're all god's children then we have to investigate why we have this racial chasm in our country why we hear so many people saying derogatory or negative things about people of other races why there's such division and racial disparity in our midst what if our congregation looked more like the rainbow that the children's song talked about of having all people from different backgrounds different skin colors and ethnicities worshiping together wouldn't that be wonderful i think i would find it inspiring but i put in your outline more importantly I think it would be in keeping with the will of God. I believe this text is saying to us very clearly that as followers of Christ, as people of the church, God wants us to be building bridges for a better relationship, that this is one of the places that could be a bridge to bring all of God's family together. Listen to what Jesus says. Again, we're in verse 23. He's just been telling her that the hour is coming where she can worship in spirit and truth. But then he says, For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. The Father seeks people who want to worship in spirit and truth. God is seeking people who want to be a bridge this hundred days of racial justice and reconciliation here at the church, simply an opportunity, sharing of ideas, asking us to think more deeply about what our role might be as a follower of Christ to help move our culture and our society toward greater racial justice and racial reconciliation. How can we move into the future? How can we move closer to Christ? How can we be more faithful in our response to Christ? But we don't do this on our own. Notice that Jesus says God is seeking us. God is seeking us. God is seeking those who are willing to be the bridge. There's a call upon our lives to be God's people as followers of Christ 
to be a part of God's family. But in this case, where there's a difference in racial, ethnicity, background, Jesus is saying if we can look at the truth and if we can allow the spiritual realm to transcend the physical, that God can use us to bring the fullness of God's kingdom into the world. He puts the challenge before the Samaritan woman saying the time has come. The challenge is still before us today. I believe that Jesus is giving us some guidance so that we might be able to transcend the past, to overcome the long embedded practices of segregation, to make some steps and continue forward to make progress. I wonder to myself, I put this question in your outline, do we even consider the possibility that the segregation evident on a Sunday morning across our country in Christian houses of worship grieves the heart of God? I think it grieves the heart of God. And it's time for us to respond to God's call that we hear in the story about Jesus today. Do we see this as a spiritual issue? For surely Jesus says that it is. That's what he says to the woman in that very last verse, verse 24. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Do we want to be God's people, worshiping in spirit and truth? Do we want to be those who respond to the call of God to be the bridge to allow our spiritual values to overcome whatever prejudice whatever experiences whatever structures keep people apart and move us in ways that disadvantage some and advantage others are we ready to be a part of that i trying to respond to the call of God in our time. I hope you're sensing that same kind of call, but sometimes it's difficult to know what to do or how to move forward, what steps to take. One of you sent me this list of things that children had said in response to how they would define love. I think some of their answers can help us with this. Let me read you a few. Mary Ann, age four, said, Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him alone all day long. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas when you stop opening presents and listen. Bobby, age seven. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate, said Nika. She's only six years old. Jessica's eight years old. She said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. I think there's some real insight there. I think there's some direction here for us in the gospel today. Jesus says, start with a spiritual base. Start with a friend you hate. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? Rather than an enemy you hate, think of another person you hate as a friend and start there. Then figure out how to say, I love you 
a lot. Amen, and thanks be to God.